my god! I uh, yeah. So I went to um, basically I went to Boots yesterday. Yeah. And uh, basically, I went in for like you know, just getting picking up some um, uh, prescriptions for a friend. And literally, I was just standing there, and the woman basically locked the account, so they had to like call the manager oh, on god. their like de- on their day off to basically give them a code to reactivate the account. And I was literally, I literally, I went out drinking on Friday, so I didn't get much sleep. So I was really like still, obviously, I was still a little bit like out coma system. Yeah. So oh, basically, God. I basically like turned up and I was like, are they going to give me these like prescriptions? Because I came in and I was like still drunk. <laughs> also, out coma bodies, literally trying not to sway. And also, like, I find Boots in strange because people coming up to, like, Boots, the Boots stuff, and they're like, yeah, I've got this massive rash, like, on my face. <laughs> what, What is it? And they're like, oh, it could be this and that. And then this woman came up and she said, oh, can you have a look at my foot? Not to oh me, God. but the Boots stuff. Yeah. And I was just like, do people just don't go to GPs anymore and just go to, boot, to Boots? That's well, that's missing. the thing, you know, like, you need to, like, um, anyone that's, like, not familiar with, like, British stuff, like, Boots is kind of like um uh, a medicine pharmacy. store, pharmacy, pharmacy. Yeah. yeah, 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 and it's like like a chain, and like everybody goes there. Um, and then GPs are like general practitioners, so like doctors, yeah. I guess. Um, and it's like, well, to see a GP now, it's like really like you're in like a, a long <laughs> sort of like queue. That's really weird, right? To think that like people just say like, go up, and just you heard this just out of the blue, like you don't know these people, but now you know they have something wrong with their face and something wrong with their foot. You know this, now yeah, forever. Yeah, like, like I, I can't <laughs> wait for the day I'm in boots and someone comes up and they're literally like, I don't know, their arms falling off and they're like, Oh, have you got any? Have you, <laughs> have have you got any? <laughs> have you got any antibiotics for this? And it's like, yeah, like tis for the scratch. <laughs> I was your arms off. I remember uh, it's this is a Shell Cole clip from like. um or X Factor, and I saw it the other day. It keeps popping up on my feed, and I just yeah. laugh so much. And, and it's Cheryl Cole basically saying to a, to a, like one of the contestants on X Factor, like one of the people who basically you know uh, auditioned, and she was like, "Oh, you know, this was this. Uh, oh, and we we are, we are only taking a few people, and this wasn't your your day. We took you oh, in and yeah. stuff. Not this yeah. time. And literally, it's like the caption was that clip. It's like." GP nurses, like GP receptionists, in like, um, I always make the running joke, like, you know, I don't know, oh god, who's, um, I make the running joke, is like, who's the most, like, the most miserable receptionist? And I feel like GP receptionists, because <laughs> oh, you come god, in, you yeah. say, you come in, you say hello, and and they're like, oh, what do you want? And you're like, yeah. um, one appointment, uh, uh, yeah, want? one appointment. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with you? Oh, okay, um. He will see you in like um, five years. Can you come back in five years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we prefer morning or afternoon appointment. <laughs> and the thing is, as well, because the also the things were closed, it was like um, you had to go. Obviously, the GPs were closed. You had to call like one one one, and God, then like yeah. obviously, they had the boots had to get here from the the main hospital, and they said, "Oh, our fax machine doesn't work." And I said, "They said to me, I'm like fax machine. Like, I'm sorry, but like." What fucking years this? Like, yeah. To be fair, like in work with us, they still use faxes. And I'm like, what? Why? It's like, I why? Know. Yeah. So it's like because we deal with like mortgage lenders and stuff. So it's like, um, they, they just like using faxes for some reason. 
And, and yeah, I'm just like, are they, are they, old, are they old people who basically are the old people for small well, lenders? No, not really. They just like uh, some of these like lenders here, just really old fashioned. Like they're just stuck in their ways. That's it's just yeah, but isn't thing. it isn't it like less secure to use fax? Like you think so? Yeah, yeah. Also, you need to train someone to use the fax machine as well. And like, you yeah, know, you're not gonna like. I know how to use a printer. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, if I went to a job and they were like, oh, can you fax this? I'd be like, what? How do I do that? Yeah. It's kind of like, um, <laughs> our, our printers basically have like, um, sort of like numbers already sort of in there. So, like, you say, like, you know, you want to print, scan, fax, whatever. And it's like you choose like the fax option and you basically just need to put like a phone number in. It's really weird. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, that just goes in, right, from, like, a random number. So, like, this printer from, like, so-and-so place sends a fax, like, literally, like, an image to, like, this company. It's so weird, honestly. I remember before it was, like, um, a company or what was it? It was something to do with, I think it's one it's one of the civil services that were like, oh, can you fax this to us? And I'm just like, like, what? Like, <laughs> and also, like, I'm, if I go to, like, a Wi-Fi cafe or something, they're not going to have fax machines because they're just going to be like, you know, no, the only places play, yeah. I've seen with fax machines now is, like, hotels. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, why but I'm gonna go to a, I'm going to go to a hotel and ask them to fax this for me because I haven't got a fax machine. Like, yeah, that would remind me of, like, the whole, um, you know, like, in James Bond, right, when he rocks up to the hotel that, like, MI6 have put him in, and he's like, Oh, Mr. Bond, you know, how um, this package arrived for you. And it's like, you know, oh, do you want to, can you send this fax for me, please? Can you send this fax to MI6? <laughs> that, that's just what it reminds me of. Just like, it's, why do hotels still have faxes? Also, it's kind of funny about like, yeah, can you fax this like really sensitive information <laughs> to MI6, to like a guy who works behind the... <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's yeah. like literally. This is and you're like this guy is definitely not going to like I don't know keep a copy or something and give yeah. it to like local authorities. It's a bit like you know because imagine you're like a ho- you're a hotel clerk like behind a desk <laughs> and and um, and like Mister Bond comes up to you and, and he's like, oh, can you fax this to MI6? And you read it, and it's like yeah, there's like a terrorist bomb, nuclear bomb in like on this <laughs> island. Uh, yeah, the, these people are going to set it off. Oh yeah, send this to MI6, please. And you're like, yeah. what? Okay, okay. <laughs> um, okay, I'm just going to forget that I've seen this. Like, really sensitive information. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I remember like watching the old James Bond stuff, and you were just like, like the suave and stuff. But like, just walking up, like. Just walking up the stuff and like everything's all set up and stuff like that and oh my god, like he literally he literally just turns up to like um like poker games and he says oh can I join in this like yeah go ahead and he <laughs> like yeah. I feel like if I went to a poker game, I feel like if I went to someone's join in someone's poker game and told me to fuck off like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um, it's like oh no we're in the middle of one can you come back on the next like you know game it's like oh you know okay. It's never that, is it? It's always like, no. oh, can I join? It's, all, it's always at the beginning of like a new hand. I like we got from Boots to talking about James Bond. That's like the most randomest kind of It's the best segue. segue. <laughs> it's the best segue. Um, I, I recently found out as well, like, did I message you? I thought segue, right, was spelt like S-E-G-W-A-E-Y, right? As in like, do you know like one of those like segues you write? Yeah, yeah. I thought it was spelt like that. So for years, I've been thinking that it was spelt like wrong, whereas it's spelt S E G U E, like segue, 
like 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 a French like spelling. I see people call it Segway, like S E G W A Y. Yeah, yeah, that's how I thought it was pronounced. Um, oh, okay. God. Oh my god, my, uh, <laughs> thank, uh, thank, thank you, I know that now because I was yeah. just like. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah. it's got a stage now where I'm literally just writing like case notes, and literally I just have the worst grammar ever. So I don't <laughs> well, know when. Is, to is put... it like shorthand writing? No, I just don't know when to put full stops and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So you know, um, bit old fashioned with that stuff. Um, yeah. So, hi everybody, welcome back to an episode of Hobby Hobby Cast. We're talking about film, TV, video games, and conspiracy theories. I'm your host, Reese Bolton, and I'm your host, Reese Jones. And today, uh, we are maybe cancelling the apocalypse today. I'm not sure. Uh, because we are reviewing Guillermo del Toro's 2013 film, uh, Pacific Rim. Uh, the 10th anniversary was back in last month, I think. Yeah. Um, and I thought, look, we both enjoyed this film. Um, it's one of our, like, yeah, uh, one of our favourite popcorn action flicks. And um, we thought, yeah, let's review it for... Um, for the 10th anniversary. Um, better late than never, isn't it? Um, so, oh, yeah, I can't wait to talk about... Only a month out, yeah, yeah. So I can't wait to talk about this. And we've got some news to talk about as well. So you can find us on Instagram, instagram.com slash hobbycast, hobbycast, Facebook at hobbycast, X at hobbycast. And you can also email us at hobbycast at gmail.com. Um, uh, please like, share, follow, and or view if you enjoy this episode. Um, so let's go straight on talking about some news. I think, uh, what's, your, what's the biggest news we talk about today? Um, hmm, I think we talk about Dune 2 first, actually. Um, yeah. I definitely recovered by this, and obviously, there are rumors circulating around about whether it is going to be delayed or not. But basically, yeah, as I said, it Dune 2 might be delayed because of the strikes, because obviously, they're not going to have a lot of uh celebrity promotions for the film. Because the the actors are striking, um, so and obviously because it's such a big, big um, film for the studio, they are obviously they want to get as much people in seats as possible, and you know beat the original. You know, obviously, want to make more than what the first film did. Yeah. So there's there's theories that they can there's rumors that they can delay it to next year. Uh, one of the uh, one of the main people in IMAX came out and said they weren't going to delay it because um, apparently Dune Two has basically booked up all the IMAX screenings, so right. the Marvels have got like no IMAX screenings <laughs> at all. Um, so I don't know. That's it's interesting, I, and obviously all these rumors and stuff. Where idea is, is things can be delayed or not, and obviously the studios don't want to come out and say yes because you know. Delays cost money, and you know they don't want to lose money on this. But obviously, again, it's like they need to promote this film as well to get yeah. people in it because it's been two years since the first one came out, and I don't think it was a boss of success. But I don't think it was what was it Warner Brothers? I think Warner Brothers was. Um, let me double check that actually. I it wasn't what um, Warner Brothers wanted. Um, yeah, one of those pictures. Yeah, um, I think they wanted it to be like you know, I think they were like, oh, Dune two sci-fi epic, always cast, make it a billion. But obviously, Dune is like a really, in terms of sci-fi, it's really well known throughout like the kind of like the book audience. 
yeah. the books sci-fi or uh, fans, but not really much into kind of like the big mainstream kind of you know cinema sci-fi fans. Yeah, and the only like obviously when we talked about Dune, it was like the last installment was uh, David Lynch's Dune, um, and also it's a very strange book to adapt as well. Yeah, uh, so I mean it did it was a box office success, but I think obviously they want the film to make more than what the original made. So I think they're really obviously wanting to promote this film and stuff and get people bums on seats and stuff. Yeah. Because um, I think in terms of everything else coming out around that time, I think that's going to be like the biggest film of what's going to be, you know, what's going to be shown around that time. I mean, Barbie Heimer's going to be done by then unless, yeah. I don't know, yeah. they keep um, it. I mean, they keep um, extending the film, at least. Because I know Oppenheimer, they're extending the IMAX screening until the end of August. Oh, because wow. Because that's how big the film is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to Dune, Dune 2. I love the first Dune. Um, and this is going to be really, really big in the first one. I can't wait to uh, see what's going to happen. Um, but, I mean, if they delay it, I mean... I can't accept that things I'm looking looking forward to coming out might get delayed. So, you know, it, it is a bummer, but obviously this, all, this is all because of the strikes. And, you know, as a, when we always talk about the strikes on this podcast, I'm always in support of the actors and why oh, striking. Yeah, so, same. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if it gets delayed, it gets delayed. But obviously they haven't come out and said it's, it's going to be delayed yet. It's just been rumours that have been circling around. So, no, but obviously, let's, uh, prepare for yeah. the. But they booked all the IMAX screenings for the film, so maybe it is coming out because obviously they wouldn't have done that if the film wasn't planning to come out right about that time. But yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, another thing, actually, some other kind of um, talk about some development kind of issues. Uh, so last week we said Wonder Woman three was in active development. Uh, Gal Gadot came out and said that World Woman 3 was in development. Actually, in terms of that, World Woman 3 is not in development. Um, and it's kind of just shows that kind of no one in Warner Brothers, no DC knows what they're doing right now. Um, yeah. I'm actually glad it's not in development now because I think having her in it is just going to cause so many like issues in terms of like you know, why are you bringing in characters from like the same universe, DCEU to the DCU? And, you know, so, and then you're recasting characters that really, you know, why keep Galactus, Wonder Woman, in DCU, but then recast Superman? Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't make sense. Um, and I've, yeah. Yeah. Variety reported that there were no active plans to uh, to develop it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what Gal Gadot said. Maybe she got like some really bad. I don't know. Maybe she said there wasn't, or maybe she kind of. Because sometimes, like actors and actresses, when they're being like interviewed as part of like something, you know, that they're working on, um, obviously interviewers want to get as much kind of like, you know, stuff out of them as possible. And so, you know, she obviously might have said maybe. Or maybe she said something that maybe basically mm. um, um, yeah. film articles obviously took and being like, oh my God, it's actually confirmed. Yeah. Well, it's but, like Peter Safran as well, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's really bad, really. <laughs> it's very bad. <laughs> I mean, I haven't really got much to say on this topic, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, uh, as we said last week, you I... know what? Um, 
like really like went along with this like the sort of like theme of like indecisiveness and absolute like hot mess is that yeah um my dad was watching black adam yesterday and i sort of like watched a bit with him and i thought like oh this, this isn't like a bad film you know it, it's not perfect but it definitely had more like it knew exactly what it wanted to be yeah. um in terms of like the sort of like anti-hero sort of like film um and then obviously at the end then we're teased with another appearance by henry cavill superman um <laughs> And literally, oh, like a week God. or so after that was released, they said, "Oh no, Henry Cavill's not going to be Superman anymore." They, I really, that was such a dumb thing. For that them to do. is probably one of the worst decisions that studio has <laughs> ever made. What an absolute joke! And I know, obviously, it's it's probably not as simple as that. Maybe there was a lot of like egos involved, especially a uh, um, a certain ego by uh, a a rock, should we say, a rock. Um, but you know, it's just with, with Marvel. You know, you we can say you know we have a lot of like critiques about how the way the MCU is going, but at least they still have a um, yeah unified front in terms of like what's going to be released. You know, they yeah, are slipped, don't they? I don't know where we, we reach this kind of point now in terms of superhero franchises. Where I I I don't think it's superhero fatigue, but in terms of like enough, I think it's kind of like the MCU's kind of hit like their their worst spot right now. And I think, it, you know, I Pretty think it was going to happen, wasn't it? I mean, they reached a really good high and now they're on like this really, really low point. Yeah. And I'm saying that because like, you know, apart from Guardians 3 this year, everything like Quantumania, Secret Invasion have not been great. I mean, the Marvels is going to come out and I think that's not going to do as well as what people, that's what they hope. Uh, Loki season two, I mean, looks really good from the trailer, but I'm not sure. And Echo apparently might get delayed. So, yeah. Echo is and not I don't think, slate, is it? And I don't think we'll be getting much Marvel stuff next year as well, where everything's going to be delayed. So, uh, yeah, it's really just like, and also DCU is where everything's kind of where the place for that and DCEU. Because obviously, the last few films. Shazam, The Flash, and Black Adam have not made hardly any money in the box office. Uh, they've been really big bombs. And I think yeah. someone said The Flash is the biggest superhero bomb of all time. Wow. Um, yeah, that's saying something when you're looking at some of yeah. the bombs from previous films back in the early 2000s. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, Blue Beetle's coming out in, I think, a week's time. And obviously... That I don't know what's happening with that. It's like, going it to flop. It's going to flop. I heard like there's been no make... marketing for this whatsoever. No, no. But that's the thing. I think Warner Brothers has just kind of like given up. They're like, yeah, this is shoppies up now. But then like James Gunn's come out and said, oh, the Blue Beetle's like the first installment of the DCU, but it's uh... not the first installment of the DCU. And I'm like, right, okay. Because apparently Creature Commanders is coming out. The animated show is coming out next year. And the Amanda Wall of shows coming out next year as well. So I really don't know what's going on. I think I I'm not really paying much attention right now because it's it's you know we we talk about stuff but like nothing's really like clear, is it? Exactly. Um, and murky, I think we are we are reaching this really murky time where I think you know we talk about strikes, things are going to be delayed, things are going to there are going to be very big changes and 
we don't know what's going to happen and stuff. I mean, you know, it's good. It's getting to the point where like, we're looking at like, obviously planning what we want to do, like, you know, even next year. Cause you know, I, I like doing stuff like that. I have no clue what's coming out. Exactly. So I'm basically just like putting stuff in where I think, Oh, Deadpool three. It's going to come out in May, but I don't think it is. So like, you know, how is that going to work? You know, for the terms of schedule and stuff. So, we're having this really difficult time right now where everything's really much not confirmed and everything's kind of like in this strange kind of ether of just like big question marks. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's really what I've got to say about this Wonder Woman free developments, uh, non-development and stuff. But, I mean, it's, we're in this really difficult kind of phase right now where like superhero stuff is really just a bit, I mean, if it's not big franchises, then it's a bit like kind of meh right now. I yes. mean, the ones that are really going strong right now is the boys. Oh, and God, obviously yeah. Invincible, and then obviously we've had like the Joker, and then obviously the Batman as well, like own separate things. But like everything else has been a bit like the MCU, the DCEU, it's been really just like what is going on. Like it's this really low point right now. And I think, um, yeah. So yeah, it's been it's been um, this has been like a huge kind of like year for Disney bombs, yeah. As well, because Indiana Jones came out and they really trying to hype up the nostalgia and people coming back to see never. It's not made its money back, so it's yeah. Um, we can we can spend all day talking about that actually. Um, actually talk about like superhero stuff and there was another super, um superhero topic. Um, Spider Man Lotus, the Spider Man um. A fan, fan film, film. Yeah. it's out now it i think it opens in theaters for a bit but now it's on youtube um i i know i obviously i looked up a lot about this making of this film and how it was like one that i think um what was his name andrew carfield's really big uh supporting on and stuff yeah. like that um the guy who directed the spider-man um mcu trilogy um John Watts, he he's, he was a big supporter of this. I'd also he's had this controversy as well because of the director and the uh, the guy who plays Spider Man, Pete Parker. There's been some WhatsApp messages where they said some really like racial, yeah. racist kind of things, and it's kind of had a really bad controversy from that. But I mean, you watched a bit of it, didn't you? You kind of skimmed watch it, which yeah, yeah. Well, I, fine, I mean, yeah. like. You sent the link, to, and it's in, apparently it's on Twitter. It's on, yeah, it's on like Twitter, now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like I kind of like had a look through it like really quick, and I mean, <laughs> obviously it's not you know a, a massive like big budget sort of like thing. It and uh, it's some parts of it which are really cool. Like I sort of like saw like this action scene which is quite like well done. Um, there's like uh, a couple of like cool little like CGI sequences of him like swing, you know, like web sl- slinging and and whatnot. But um, I think it tries to lean more into sort of like the the f- friends and like romantic like dramas, almost like a melodrama sort of thing. Uh, again, I haven't seen the whole thing, so I might watch it. I might not. Like it doesn't really appeal so to me. Basically, they didn't have to, but they can't couldn't afford actually making any action sequences. So it's basically well, a sub opera. Yeah, well, I can see like they had some like scenes, you know, like because you know, not not really big spoiler, but like you know, he does fight the Green Goblin in this. Um, so they had to have like this like you know like sort of like fighting 
sort of sequence and it does play out a lot like the um uh the spider-man one um fighting um scene where like they're in like the abandoned building at the end it does play out yeah. like that. um obviously it must have been some like influence from that but um otherwise um i don't know i it just it's just not for me i guess <laughs> i'm probably i might watch this like if i've got two hours to spare and i'm like yeah. i don't know if I'm like sick in bed and stuff, then I'll watch yeah. it. But like right now, yeah. I'm just a bit like I'm mm, not gonna like yeah, yeah. And I, and I wasn't really big, in, really interested in it anyways. And then obviously it came out with this whole controversy stuff, and I was like, okay, it's another like kind of thing to add on to why I don't watch this exactly. And yeah, um, yeah it's just it's just I think it's just becoming like a meme in the future. To yeah, be honest. Um, it's a shame, really, isn't it? Because like this. Mm. Obviously, they started out with like this passion, didn't they, for the character and for like that, um, you know, for Stanley and Jack Kirby sort of like ingenious creation of Spider-Man. Because Spider-Man is the the everyman becoming the greatest hero in his like in his like, and helping people, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. And it, it's it's an ingenious invention, but how it's sort of like transpired now with yeah, as you said, like the controversy and um, and whatnot, and and the actual like the mediocreness of the, the actual film, I guess. Um, you know, and it's not as if, like, oh, this legacy is, like, forever tainted. Like, someone could come along and make, like, something else. Like, you know, like how, um, uh, like, Star Wars has always been, like, subject to this. You know, like, fans will make, you know, like, really lo- loving projects, but ultimately fail. But then other people come along with, um, I guess, more of, like, a back-in, you know, because of, like, Kickstarter campaigns and whatnot. They have more production value, and and they create like absolute masterpieces like um Bucketheads. I think like the first two episodes are already on like YouTube and like Bucketheads is fantastic. Look at the I'm just gonna look at the budget for this. Um I haven't really read a lot around it about how much like the budget 100, was. hundred and ten K. See, like that's not like that's not like a small amount of money and like no, done the right way, no. you can create something really, really good. You know? Literally, if I type in Spider-Man Lotus, the literally the main thing that's come up is about the controversy. Like, uh, so see. I mean, yeah. but to be honest, if you're like, you know, if you're a director and you're saying racist stuff, then you're not going to get a fan off me. Like, I'm yeah. not going to support you. Exactly. So and like, it's like, if, if they were cynical, they would say that like, oh, any publicity is good publicity. But is it actually going to make people watch and respect your work? You know. To be honest, I will watch. I will watch some of those. Um, oh, what what all of those um, sp- uh, Star Wars fan films? Um, um, there's. Um, I think it's called Bucket Dark Heads. Bucket, no, Bucketheads. Yeah, Bucketheads is fantastic. Anyone? I I will watch that. Yeah. Bucketheads is um, Star Wars, but from the point of view of like stormtroopers, it's, it's really good. Yeah, um, that is really good. Like, yeah, I rather and Star Wars made some really great fan films over the years. Oh yeah, like there was a really good one as well of um, the, uh, uh, Vader was it the one? Oh the, Vader, the yeah, the the Star Wars theory one. Yeah, that was yeah, really that good. was really good. Um, yeah, there's I think it's Dark Apprentice about like Darth Maul. That was really really cool. Yeah, yeah, I um, yeah. The fast but, one, the fighting in the forest, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's awesome. Yeah. See, so, yeah, see, I, you know, I, I mean, I'd rather watch fan films that actually, like, I don't know, I'd seem really interested in, and actually, you know, there's no, there's no like kind of like bad things the director's done or stuff. But it's just like you know, even the actors come out with like racist kind of mark, remarks, and I'm like, yeah. well, what is you know, 
why do you want me to support you if you're going to be like being yeah. racist against like you know good people? Um, but yeah, I mean, I might watch it, might not. I mean, <laughs> saying that, I, I yeah, I, I just I just feel like it's a bit. I wasn't really a big fan, or I wasn't really engaged in the whole like you know when it's come out to like production and all the news about it and stuff. So I'm not going to be engaged now. Same. Um, I I wasn't hyped, but I was I was aware obviously that of his exist is its existence. Hmm. But yeah. Oh well. I might just watch a Wikipedia summary. Oh, yeah. this reminds me as you go Wikipedia. We as you go Wikipedia page. So you know, <laughs> I said something. Mm, um, yeah. I do feel bad though for the other people who have made the other crew who have not been being controversial and have been actually put a lot of effort into making this because I feel like. Because of what your director and your main app star have said, obviously, you know, it's just kind of like all that work's going down a drain. Exactly. I do kind of hope it does like have like people watching it and stuff. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not saying people shouldn't watch it, but I am probably not going to watch it. Yeah, it was, you know, it's mm. like, um, it comes back to like the SAG AFRA stuff. Like, you know, all like these people who are like pro- protesting, they aren't like saying, "Oh, you know, people should boycott the films." They want people to see the film, you know. And like I, w- you know, I would actively encourage people to watch Spider-Man: Lotus and you know form their own opinion about it. Um, but then bear in mind that you know, like these the people behind it did have those views, yeah. But yeah, knowing exactly. that you you have to separate the um, the the people behind the scenes from the actual work itself. You know? Exactly. Exactly. You know? Um, but but yeah, it's it's a shame really that the the, the you know this has transpired. And as I said, you know, it's it's not really that good because I think obviously if it, if it was something astounding, then we would hear like word word of mouth from me that this is like something really good. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I think that's one yeah. the day. <laughs> Let's jump in talking about uh, something that's really, really good and we both enjoy. That is um, Pacific Rim, um, a, a, um, a main topic of, of the week. So Pacific Rim, uh, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Of course, he has no introduction. I, you know, introduction-wise, Pinocchio, Labyrinth, Pan's Labyrinth, Shape yeah. of Water, Nama Alley. If you don't know who Guillermo del Toro is, then yeah. obviously... I've got a lot of questions for you. Uh, it's obviously <laughs> written by the Toro and Travis Beecham, who directed uh, 2010's Class of the Titans, Carnival Roll and Dog Days of Summer. Carnival Roll, that was one with um, Yams and one with Orlando Bloom. Yeah, He's like yeah a, that's pr- yeah. pretty good. Yeah, um, And cinematography by Guillermo Navarro, who basically uh, did cinematography for Hellboy, Night Museum, yeah, uh, from dusk till dawn, and music by our probably one of our favorite composers here on THGC, Ramin Jawadi. Yeah, Westworld, Game of Thrones, House of Dragon. I mean, you know, yeah, the what, man's what? he's a living legend, isn't he? The man's a, li- a fucking living legend. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, stars Charlie Hunnam, Idris Elba, Rinko Kuchi, Charlie Day, Ron Perlman, Robert Kaczynski, Max Martini, Clifton Collins Jr. Bern Gorman and Diego Klattenhoff. Um, so I mean, I, I I'll give a little bit kind of setups, uh, yeah. kind of summary of this film. So 2013, the world is basically a normal, normal world, and then suddenly this massive kaiju creature comes out of the um of the the Pacific Ocean and destroys San Francisco. 
and the US government basically took them six days to take down this one kaiju. Yeah. And basically the the governments around the world realized, oh my god, we you know, we're struggling to stop these creatures. What do we do? And so the Jaeger program was uh, created. So and the tagline this film is to fight monsters, we created monsters. Yes. Which I, yeah. I, I loved I loved that. Um and basically uh, kaiju and uh, the Jaegers created them fighting the kaiju. Basically, the kaiju came from this like place called the Breach, which basically yeah. opened up and allowed the kaiju to come out into our world. Yeah, and um, that, and then that's we the jump... thing, isn't it? Mm. Like they say that, um, oh, you know, you'd look up into the you know stars and think like, oh, you know, are aliens up there? But then it turns out. They created, yeah, like this breach, like in the depth of the Pacific Ocean. So exactly, they, yeah. They they had like a, a backdoor entrance into our world. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. and um, and then obviously seven years after that, twenty twenty, um, Charlie Hunnam's Riley Beckett. Um, he basically worked with his brother to fire kaiju. His brother's killed. Um, Riley Beckett basically goes into hiding. Basically, gives up being a Jaeger pilot, and then he is brought back. Uh, by Idris Elba because to help save the world mm. uh, because it turns out actually is interestingly the kaiju start learning the how how more about the defenses of the of the Jaeger and started fighting a lot more kind of strategically wise so now the Jaegers are like oh these kaiju are like really a lot of science yeah. tactics and stuff I yeah this is a very this is I love them, but when people say popcorn flicks, some people still, I, I find it's quite in a negative tone. This is yeah, a popcorn yeah. flick, but it's a good one, yeah? You go yeah. to the cinema and sit down with a bucket of popcorn and Coke and literally just like watch because like giant this... machines fighting monsters and that's yeah. it for like two hours. You know, you know like, hours. what you're saying, like, I laugh yeah. because it's like you have something like The Meg, which is just pure dumb action, right? Yeah. And then you have Pacific Rim, which is. Yeah, it's actiony, actiony, and it's just like a you know, wow, yeah, literally giant robots fighting giant monsters. But yeah, it is all like it, it's the look and feel of the film, and and it has a heart, and it's essentially yeah. at the end of the day, it is um, it's an homage to like you know like yeah. kaiju anime sort of like uh, media yeah. Yeah. from Japan. You know, uh, it is is a love letter from Guillermo to that sort of yeah. like filmmaking. I I I I would say also, I mean, I'm you know. I think this is the most kind of blockbustery film Guillermo del Toro has made. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, like all his other films he's made pretty much well, Hellboy you could say is a blockbuster, but yeah. I mean this I'd is say, a big um, like, like big budget blockbuster this yeah. is. Really. I mean the greatest blockbuster he never made was the Hobbit films, wasn't it? That Yeah, yeah. He was so close to making those films, but then he just like he had enough of studio interference and just said like fuck it. And then he went. It reverted back to Peter Jackson, yeah. but that's that's yeah. a whole massive drama that you know we can discuss that another time. I think, um, but I think yeah, like for for however much this is a blockbuster flick, you know, Guillermo del Toro's vision is never sacrificed. No, the, no. the look of the fil- film. I know you say well, there's a DOP on this, and um, obviously there's other sort of like visual designers, uh, practical effects, especially are used phenomenally in this film but his vision you have a look anything from pan's labyrinth um don't be afraid of the dark uh the hellboy films and this you can see that there's an overarching sort of like 
dark gothic vision yeah it's pervasive throughout yeah it yeah it's phenomenal i love it it's it's very dystopian in that sense yes. as well because this is yeah. a world where um i mean they're fighting giant monsters cities yeah. have been destroyed etc yeah well, and what they, they have a I'll, countdown clock, don't they? Yeah, and, and yeah. It's, it's it's gradually increasing. So the uh, the Armageddon is coming. It's crawling, but it's getting faster and faster each day. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of the writing of this film and the plot, it's not like Oscar like. <laughs> it's pretty basic, screenplay. isn't it? It's basic. They're like things that don't make sense. I mean, you know. <laughs> Like Charlie Hunnam's character, he doesn't really have like a development of his character. Yeah. He basically just plays the same one again. again. Um, there are times it's very cheesy. So, like, you know, just the Australian, like, father and son. Oh, yeah. Got, like, yeah. He got this dog, and you're just like, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's typical, <laughs> like, you know, 20 some people that's like fighting each other yeah. and stuff. You, you know, then you got, then you got these, like, two, this Russian, um, I think, brother and sister. I think uh, and husband and wife, yeah, husband yeah. and wife, and then and then literally it's a part where like um, they have a tactical nuke, and then like you know Riley asks um, Marshall, you know, where did you get that? I was like, oh, we got the Russians didn't get us anything, and it's yeah. like, oh, you know, like you know, it it is it is cheesy, it is very much like you know, basic kind of like save the world monster, but that's what all it is, and it does it so yeah. well, yeah. and the fights between the kaiju and the Jaegers. Compared to the fight scenes in the Marco Bay Transformers films, you know what's going on. I mean, exactly. like they do it Even so well. Even like low lighting, right? And like yeah. a lot, a lot of the action sequences take, um, take, uh, they take place in either night or storms, and it's yeah. very hard to like to discern that, isn't it? Whereas, yeah, it's, the lighting is phenomenal, especially is. when um, they're fighting in Hong Kong and everything's like neon lit. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's very, very good. But I feel like also, I think one of the reasons also why they set this kind of like around the Hong Kong kind of area as well is because Hong Kong is a very technologically advanced city, like in terms of futuristic as well. Yeah. So if you want to have a world that is like, you know, a setting which shows, okay, this is like a futuristic kind of 2012, 2020, you'll set it in like something like Hong Kong because, yeah. you know, Hong Kong yeah. is very like, it's, it's a very one of, it's like really like technologically advanced cities in the world, one of the biggest, and it, mm. and it works well as well because obviously yeah. by the ocean you've got you know in terms of very it's a very international city as well, and it's like I really like I've never been to Hong Kong I really want to, yeah. but it's just got the landscape of it. It's just really just like there's something like very beautiful about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like the streets are very you know I love the kind of like I always like like looking at images of like. You know the kind of like the city life of Hong Kong, and it just feels really just like mm. that kind of like really modern kind of aesthetic to it as well. Yeah, mixed with kind of like the old fashioned and and the traditional. That's it, yeah. Um. So I I, I do and I, I and I do like it. I mean, but like Hong Kong seems to be like always the epicenter of like you know giant beings fighting <sighs> each other. Yeah. I mean, like Godzilla versus Kong is set in Hong Kong. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. And you, and you contrast that right. The lighting was meant to be quite like neon lit, but it, mm. compared to this, it it looked really dark and like um, yeah and boring compared to Pacific, yeah. Pacific Rim. Yeah, um, I want to pull back to like the uh, the the opening title card. No, not, sorry, not title card. The opening frame is probably one of my favorite in all of cinema. The um, black background, uh, green text, almost like as if it's on like a an analog computer, and it comes up with kaiju. 
Japanese meaning giant beast, and then Jäger German meaning hunter. It sets yeah. the scene for the entire film. It I love does. it. Um, and then the the prologue and everything that happens. I I I looked on um, Amazon. What's it called? The uh, Amazon X Ray or something. Yeah. The title card of actually you know, when it says Pacific Rim is seventeen minutes into the actual film. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I mean, because it, it's such it like a, after, a big um, like yeah. Uh, what's it? Chris, uh, Gypsy Danger basically crashes into yeah. the ice. But it is um, it is a good setup. I, I love the it fight. Is, with, like, it is. The kaiju with like the the sword head is really cool. Mm. It's I, almost I think, like as if. Oh, sorry. No, go on. No, I, I, I was going to talk about life something different, but you carry on. Haven't oh no, about I was going to say the, that, um, the sort of like it's almost like oh, you know, the kaiju are learning from us, but then we learn from the kaiju as well because. Um, Gypsy's arm gets severed at the beginning, right? By the, as I said, the, the sword head kaiju. But then they add the swords to um, Gypsy, the yeah. second uh, Mark II Gypsy. So, like, it's almost like, yeah, like we've learned from our mistakes, sort of thing. Very, very cool. Yeah. And I do love, obviously, we want to talk about as well the, the idea of drifting as well in this film. Um, and drift is really the idea is because they, when they first did the kind of like the early prototypes of um, Jaegers, they had one pilot and it became so much for one pilot to take. So they were like, okay, to like, basically you're like controlling the, the Jaeger, but it's like, in terms of like, it's like the drifting part of it as well. It's yeah. like you become the Jaeger. So they, when they had the first prototypes, it was like one person and it became too much for like, about one person and their mindset to take. So they did this thing where drifting and it's all about basically finding the right kind of like partner yeah. to, to uh, work the Jaeger with. Drift compatible. Jaeger. <laughs> yeah, you have to be drift compatible. And I mean, this is really about, this is why a lot of the Jaegers and stuff are kind of like, pilots are like, you know, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, father and sons, etc. So, because they've got a mental capacity to drift. Yeah. And um, basically, that that works. And if one person doesn't is not able to drift well to the other, it does make complications. And I mean, yeah. you know, uh, the, when pilots are drift, they gain an intimate knowledge of each other's memories, feelings. Yeah. And they have to accept weird, them. Yeah. It? yeah. And it really looks about, like, the idea is, like, opening up and i feel like it's one of respect as well because like yeah this whole basically a lot, lot of like the idea of like military stuff like wingman and stuff you want to like going going to like uh pilot in a jet with your wingman you've got to have put 110 percent into your wingman and the yeah. wingman's about 110 percent. you know the idea of watching your back and yeah. so you need to have like that level of trust for them to basically be like i can trust you to watch my back and with the the jaeger pilots the idea was like you know you need to like really respect one another and trust one another. Oh, it's not going to work. And a way of that kind of very really intimate kind of like letting like your your partner pilot basically get into your memories, know about your memories and what you're feeling and seeing your background, but literally being that kind of like open to basically you know you know let someone else that basically look go into your mind and basically see what your childhood, what you've been experiencing and stuff. Yeah. And it's really like a lot, you know, it's, it's a lot. I mean, you go, inside, you go inside someone's head, but it 
that's why it works well when you've got a kind of very intimate kind of thing already there. Like brothers, you know, like a start when we see Riley Beckett, him and his brother Yancey, they're brothers. So they have that very, very intimate kind of like growing up yeah. together and stuff. They've gone through the same things. Um, I mean, we talk about the, the, the Russian um, husband and wife. You know, they're intimate. They're like a you know, their wife and the husband. They can't be, they've grown up, you know, they've been having an intimate relationship and stuff. Um, and it's one of love. Um, and obviously, then we've got um, obviously the um, Chinese ones are brothers as well, I think. Aren't the they? brothers as well, yeah, yeah, them, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Aussie ones, we've got like, uh, you know, Chuck Hansen and Hercules Herc Hansen, father and son. So it's, um, it's very like um, what I want intimate as well, father and the son. So it does work. And also, but when it comes to it as well, obviously, this is about like how Varley worked with um, Mako, which is obviously, which is a female uh, protagonist in, in this film, and how they've obviously they not have they. It's interesting how like they at the start they have they don't they not brother and sister they're not husband and wife but they become like very intimately linked because of their shared kind of work part in the Jaeger. Yeah. And I like how this sh- this film is not really like a love story. It's one oh, of not. like very much like in terms of love, it's like in terms of like trust love rather than romantic exactly. love. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and in through Palatine with Jaegers, with a Gypsy Danger, Raleigh and Mako, they see them feeding some memories and they learn to basically trust one another and it's a very intimate kind of love they have, but it's also one of like respect, trust, the friendship as well. Yeah. And obviously, it leads to question not to be romantic as well, but obviously, I'm glad it don't kind of force this kind of romantic side in it as well. Mm. And I think that's a really good pl- part on Del Toro to doing it because, um, you know, it's about all. It's one of the themes of this, of this film is togetherness. Yeah, it's togetherness yeah. of the human race working together to fight the kaiju and the idea, you know. In the opening kind of prologue, it's all about you know how the governments of the world put the differences aside, came together to fight this new race, yeah. yeah. And um, this is we always seen this in like sci-fi movies when like you know Earth realizes there's the biggest threat as bigger than, than like the, each other, so they work together to encounter the bigger threat, like the enemy of my enemy is my friend, basically yeah. all that, and. This is all, this theme of togetherness is there. It's togetherness in terms of humans working with each other to stop the kaiju, uh, governments working together to stop the kaiju, um, and togetherness as well as like you know, uh, Jaeger pilots working together, like intimately yeah. to fight the kaiju. So it's you know, it's really, really. I think that's a really big theme that you find in this, and. You know, you couldn't make the film be like, oh yeah, these two, two people have to part Jaeger because I don't know. Because it's such a big machine to pilot, but no, like the the Toro and the Beecham add the kind of to the kind of the drifting part of it as well, which is mm. really really science. That's when it gets very scientific. The idea of drifting, because yeah. you know the idea of going into someone's head yeah. and stuff, and they they refer it to it as like a mind meld, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like so, um, some of the um, like lingo they use, like some of the like sayings are a bit like <laughs> they're a bit weird, aren't they? Like, do you know, like when the mind meld happens, they call it a neural handshake. Like, yeah, yeah, we, we get it, we get what that means, but it, they could have used like another term for for that. I guess. I think I think it's like we. I think 
I, I, obviously, me and you watching a lot of sci-fi films, yeah, like yeah. set in the future and stuff. It gets the tech. It becomes very tech savvy, so you get a lot of tech slang coming in. So, like, yeah, like tech. What you said about the handshake? Obviously, it's like there's a better name for it, but it's basically because it's been used so much. It's like you know, it's basically oh, I, I it guess, becomes yeah. like its own type of slang yeah. language to it. Yeah. Maybe they just um, didn't want to use like over the top techno babble. No, exactly, exactly. Um, hmm. It's so again, this isn't is it? this is for a mainstream audience. This film, so yeah, you don't want to get yeah. very technical. Yeah, um, and we, Can we imagine watched... if Christopher Nolan made this. Oh, it'd be so technical. Yeah, it'd be really, really technical. I think it'd be quite interesting seeing a Nolan. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, um, but. I mean, also, we've got drifting as well between humans and the kaiju as well. So, uh, yeah. Charlie Day's character, uh, Dr. Newton uh, Geyser, um, he's nicknamed Newtonness um, in the film. So, basically, he basically, him and obviously, Bern Gorman's character, Dr. Herman uh, Gottlieb, they, they're basically researchers who are hired by, oh, I'll say, the, the, the military. Yeah, um, it's like the the Pan Pacific, you know, like the, the resistance like thing, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're hired by the resistance to basically find ways of uh, defeating the kaiju. And obviously, uh, Doctor Herman Gottlieb, he's like talking about how you can nuke the breach to basically stop the kaiju from getting through. While Newton's more like kind of the mad scientist vibe, basically like. Let us like drift with the kaiju, and then we can learn about them, and then we can <laughs> use it against them. Yeah. And then, but basically, what happens is he uses it, and basically, what happens is the kaiju then become they start to understand humans, like basically how humans work and stuff. Mm. But then he learns basically like what the kaiju are planning, which gives the resistance like preparations into you know the idea is like okay, there's a category five monsters are coming in and. Whilst we get one kaiju coming only, only, only like only a couple of times, now we're getting like you know dozens of kaiju can be coming in like you know he says something like once every like minute or something like that like mm. so it's like really just like it sets up the resistance to be like okay we are having to fight these and the idea as well like the Jaegers now seven years after they first commissioned. They are basically getting destroyed by huge numbers because the kaiju are learning their tactics. Yeah. And so the the I mean like the, there's what how many there's like four Jaegers in this whole um, um yeah yeah because there's the, the um there's Gypsy uh yeah there's the Russian one is Chernor Alpha which yeah. is like fucking like awesome it's like a tank yeah. with legs um, yeah yeah uh, Crimson Typhoon which is the the yeah. three armed Chinese one. And then there's the Australian one, which is like the, the sports car version, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Strike, yeah. Striker Eureka. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm really happy they gave them like individual personalities. Each yeah, each yeah. one is is very like, you, you know, you get like Cherno Alpha, which is like the no nonsense Russian fucking bear of of a Jaeger, and then you got like, Crimson Typhoon, which is the more like um, elaborate, you like martial arts sort of one. Um, striker, as I said, is the sports car, like fancy pants one, and then strike uh, gypsy, which is the more plucky, you know, like heroic one. It's quite funny. Like the idea is like um, the the Chinese, the 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 or is it was it Japanese or the Asian one? It's very yeah, it's Chinese. Um, yeah. It's Chinese. It's very much the one of very much like you know 
cool and like basically you know like uh, really you know kind of like cool kind of like I'm trying to compare it to like kind of like groups groups and schools like the really cool kind of like yeah mathematically cool smart group yeah they're like the smart ones yeah. and then the Russians are like kind of like the the goth kind of like you know uh, <laughs> Russian kind of ones yeah. and then and then and then and then the obviously Aussie ones very much like the jock one like yeah. very cool. Yeah. stripes and stuff like that and then like gypsy's danger is kind of like the normal one but it's not part of his group since like his own kind of like thing um, yeah. i can't i kind of like it i was thinking about it now when you're talking about it but also what's interesting gypsy danger is they it's kind of like the old one and they say like gypsy danger like oh it's like a buck of bolts and stuff like yeah you know. and then it's like the old one, but is able to actually save the day and defeat a lot well, of kaiju. It's like, meant to be the Millennium Falcon, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. It, what what a piece of junk! But yeah, it's plucky, it's heroic, it's quick for for its age. It's quick and it's unique. You know, the who are like yeah. it's analog systems, right? Analog. It's like a, but... it's an antique that is like that is like the most the better out of all. Them. Yeah. Plus, it, it's meant to look the coolest, right? The sleekest one, because yeah. you're, you're meant to... Because this is the main character's Jaeger, isn't it? It's meant to be yeah. the coolest, even though Striker is the coolest one. Striker is the coolest, but Gypsy is meant to be, like, the... It's, you know, like, how... Um, uh, fuck, I forgot his name, then. Uh, Riley has, like, a very soft... He has a soft spot, and then he says, like... Um, Gypsy's one of a kind now, and he says they are. She always was. It's very yeah. It's, it's like the soft spot in terms of like the links of pilots and their aircraft, and obviously yeah. Gypsy Danger is very iconic. Yeah. Same way with Harrison Ford and his, you know, he's like how his relationship with the Millennium Falcon, uh, you know, James C. Kirk with oh yeah um, the, Enterprise the Enterprise and stuff because it, you know as future Star Wars episodes or films go ahead, it's like. US Enterprise, like, oh, it's old, it's old now, you know, we got yeah, and it always gets destroyed. Stuff that, yeah, yeah, more stuff eats and stuff. Um, and then obviously, Man and Falk is a piece of junk, but like, you know, it's like, it's it's my piece of junk in terms of like, this exactly. is mine, yeah, and I like it. And also, I love you when you first when you see these, like, you know, the fight between like the other kind of like, um, Jaeger's fighting the kaiju and all of them get wiped out. Well, you know, yeah, and then you got like Jimmy Danger manages like take down like three of them. Uh, and, yeah. um, and, and I like it how it's like very much like these Jaegers aren't like you know, super pa- they're not like superheroes, they don't no. come in and basically like get and like you know, get destroyed a bunch of things, and then they're they only just as don't, good as they their pilots, scratched. I think, exactly. And then like they actually do take damage and stuff. So there is a kind of like, it adds tension to when you see the Jaegers actually fight in the Kaiju. You, you so cringe it, each time like the yeah. Jaegers get damaged, don't you? Yeah, because you're, like, you're oh, like, oh shit, was that a critical hit? Like, oh shit, like, oh, yeah. shit, they get hurt, you know? Yeah. And this film does it where in terms of it sets up like, you know, they can kill off characters. Exactly. And you're like, yeah. you're, you're, and then you're a hero, you're a protagonist, you're like rooting for, you're like... The stakes oh, are high, aren't like, they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like obviously it shows you know, that how insignificant we are compared to like these monsters. Yeah, exactly. you know, that we yeah. we've had to obviously embrace our own monstrous side. So, it's um, very much Yeah. It, there is a these theme of sacrifice in this in yes. terms of like yeah. you're having to sacrifice these big, massive um, you know, um Jaegers to fight the Kaiju. But also like I wanted to drop in as well the idea the added element they made to kind of like the long term effects of piloting Jaeger on Humans, 
you know, obviously Idris, El- Idris Elba's character is like slowly dying because of the years he's had basically been a part of the Jaeger and the whole drifting. Yeah. And so the idea is like you are sacrificing your body and mind yeah. to basically for to save the human race. So, and I like that added element. Like obviously, at the end of it, it was Elvis Cow just like, look, I'm going to die anyway. Let's really go out with like a bat, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, the, the sense of selflessness with these characters are very like heroic. Yeah. And yeah. It, it comes across as quite cartoony, isn't it? Like, oh, you know, these are just like... It does, yeah. You know, especially with um, Idris Elba's character. He is like the no-nonsense, you know, like hero. He's willing to do anything to get the job done. You know, he sacrificed a lot of the sort of like, um, I guess, like... Uh, he, he gave like a lot of like freedom to Hannibal Chow and his criminal enterprise, right? Yeah. Because he knew that it was for the greater good. Yeah, exactly. You know, like he's willing I, to do stuff for the greater good. There's very there, there is like kind of the like this is obviously a homage to kind of like you know anime and like yeah. you know um like kaiju fights and stuff like that. But yeah. Also, it's like a homage to kind of like you know those kind of like eighties kind of like military action movie, you know, like Top Gun and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you have got like the kind of like the general who is like you know like. Uh, who's very like outspoken he's like yeah. well, you know i i you know i'm the boss and stuff like that and yeah. then you got like the kind of rivalry you know with the handsome son and obviously riley beckett and they fight and it's that kind of like clash of like male testosterone and stuff like that you know it's it's that's where the cheesiest part is in that but it, it works so well and if you go in you've you know if you go into this film thinking it's going to be like you know like Oscar nominated, like really kind of like, you know, massive, you know, like the next level of like sci-fi writing. It's not that, but it's still enjoyable in a sense of that. It's, it's what you've seen before and you feel comfortable watching it. You understand it as well. Um, and yeah, that's basically, um, that's what I like this film. Like the cheesiness works. Um, and also, you talk about cheesiness, like Hannibal Chow, like oh god, like uh, and I know obviously Guillermo del Toro and Ron Perlman have got that friendship in terms of you know he does pop up in like the Toro films. He played Hellboy in Hellboy and Hellboy: The Golden Army. Yeah, um, he plays Hannibal Chow, which is just like, well, like I don't I know if like, his character is like stereotypical or like well, really <laughs> like I don't know yeah. like obviously they introduce the whole thing of like oh you know. Charlie um Charlie Day's character needs to go and find a kaiju brain. You know, yeah. they, they introduce all that like little subplot to bring in Ron Pullman, his character. Yeah. That's, the, that's the only reason they they add it. Because obviously, yeah, he, he does go really ham with like what what did he say? It's like he says like, Oh, you know, I name myself after my my favorite historical character and my second yeah. favorite like restaurant in Brooklyn or something. I, like I think so. Years. I think it's his first favorite. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I, I, I love that. I love that, and he's like, and the shoes as well are so iconic. And then yeah. the, the golden shoes. He's they sound on. like Spurs, don't they? Yeah. It does. It does, and it's yeah. it's the such an over cool. the top. Yeah. It's so over the top, but like you know, like go the Toro wrote this. Be like, I want more poem to play this, and you know, yeah. one poem is having a, a loving playing this. Oh yeah, yeah. And he already has the switchblade, and he almost like. Um... <laughs> He puts the switchblade in bloody Charlie Day's nose. It's like, Jesus yeah. Christ. It's funny. Because when you're watching it, you feel like, I forgot Ron Perlman was in this film. When they go and see Amber, well, he he appears on like the, um, 
the title credits, I think. I'm not sure. I can't remember. But basically, he's like, you know, he comes up on like the RMTB thing. And I'm like, oh, well, Pong was in this. And I'm like, I forgot who he plays. And I was like, oh, yeah, Hannibal Chow. But like, I like it because it's, it takes it away from like the fighting ball. So it kind of explores the world a lot more as well. Like, you know, you've got kaiju like organ harvesting, like traffic, you know, body yeah. trafficking. And it's like, it is actually what humans would do in terms of if they find this new kind of like, you know, extraterrestrial body and stuff like that. It has another element to its world, like it's very rich world. Mm. And yeah, you know, the idea is like when the kaiju get defeated in battle, humans will go and basically like, you know, take everything, like kind of like skim the the dead creatures alive, take their organs and stuff and sell them for like, a lot of money so it's this really like black market like very illegal kind of side yeah. and also it allows it to where like the military obviously have to work with these people because they have got a lot of control and they've got like the you know the military are like okay we need to work with these people even though obviously it goes against what you know what we do but we have, we got to work with these people in order to basically like save the world and basically stop these creatures and uh, and I like that. Like the idea is like Marshall knows about this handle Chow. He doesn't agree with what he does, but he knows that like he, he like he is useful. Like yeah, they do need him and stuff like that. So I do like that. Um, uh, you know, Charlie Day I think works really well in this. Um, Charlie Day I've always found like apart from like when when he's not in, I'm you know always sunny. There are lots where he's really annoying. I find like whole buses. He like he's really annoying. Like yeah, he be, he's become he just shouts and like you know, and it's and it's a bit like ugh. But in this, he's like he's like good level where he's just like you know not over the top. Uh, and I and him and Burn and Burn Gorman's like chemistry is so good. I, <laughs> Funny, I, yeah. It's I, I I think it's in my opinion it's the best kind of chemistry between two two actors in this film. Yeah. Like I do like um, you know, uh Gucci and Hunnam's chemistry. Yeah. And like, you know, Elbow and Hunnam's chemistry, but these two are just like funny. They're like they're like they're like the mad kind of like, you know, scientist friends who, you know <laughs> and it's they all like, you know, got their own kind of like other personality where like Bone Gorman's character, he's got like um a, a walking stick. <laughs> yeah. Or like a stick to walk on. And it's just like and they're all just both of them are just like insane, and yeah. you can, and when you ask your friend, you know that they're like they're useful to them to the resistance, but also like they're like they're really annoying like researchers, you know, who basically like oh I got this and stuff, and they're like yeah okay okay you know like we'll see and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, but I, I I do like it, and um, I mean with Chai Day's character, obviously, but in the sequel, Pursuing uh, Uprising, you you know about like. The idea of him drifting with the kaiju does have repercussions. Um, right, I haven't and seen we don't, the sequel, so yeah. oh, I haven't seen it either. But basically, it, the idea is like um, he becomes like the villain of the oh. of the film because because he basically uh, drifts with the kaiju. He becomes kind of possessed by the kaiju. All um, oh, right, <laughs> but so it adds another element to it, which obviously wasn't in this film, but. Um and uh, yeah, I I know I um I mean like it Clifton Collins Jr. is in this as well. He's kind of like the uh the tech guy and stuff like that. Um yeah, all these characters are really like a few things, isn't he? It's like yeah in like Westworld and stuff. 
he's one of those actors that always pops up and stuff, and you know it. Like, but he's also yeah. like a really good actor. Like, I think there are things where he plays like ma- like major major roles, but other things he's just like supporting. Yeah. Um. And hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a bit like Burn Gorman in a way. Burn Gorman yeah. like, has been in quite a lot of stuff, and he he pops in these. Like he's he's usually supporting actors and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. But like each each of his characters plays their roles really really well, and like they have got like Del Toro and Beecham take their time to basically focus on do focus on his characters. Yeah. And obviously, you know, with Rinko Kuchi's character Mako Mori, you know, she's kind of like the kind of like the kind of nerd kind of like type of being like, you know, she's very much the kind of uh, pen and paper type of girl, but also she's like, you know, she's, she's done the challenges and stuff. She, you know, she is ready to be a pilot, but the question is like, why is she not? And then obviously you learn that kind of like, she's like a surrogate daughter in a way to Idris Elbert to Pentecost. And the idea is that you look about, you look about, through basically the drift in Riley learns and the audience learns through Riley that because she basically lost her parents for the kaiju, there's a sense of it's like PTSD in it as well. And and how like when she first drifts, she basically struggles to like obviously control it because she has PTSD and basically how effects kind of like she's got anger, she's got yeah, trauma and stuff. I, I really like that as well. Because as the limit, I like these people are like you know, they have lost people they loved from yeah. the kaiju. Riley has lost his brother, uh, you know, Mako has lost his parents, and but I do wish they focus on Riley and about, about his kind of trauma more. But the idea is like working with Mako, these two characters, as their chemistry develops, they. And they become, you know, obviously they work together like as as Jaegers. They're able to put their trauma aside and like focus on the mission. And the idea is kind of like, you know, recovering from that trauma. And I think that's really, really interesting. Um, because obviously, I think I Charlie Hummel, I, I love how Charlie Hummel as, as an actor and he fits his character really well because Riley yeah. is very much a kind of like know it all kind of like, you know, um, act like cool kid type of person and um you know he's the one that kind of bends the rules and stuff and doesn't go against orders so you know he's like james c kirk in like you know jj from star trek really um he's like the really hothead kind of like young kind of like immature kind of like you know uh fighter and i i, I really enjoy it and and charlie hunnam like is perfect casting for this as well, yeah, because around this time he was he just he was well known for Sons of Anarchy, wasn't he? Yeah, because obviously he he was with Ron Perlman, and but they oh, didn't yeah. share any scenes together in this film. But obviously, you know they're like son and stepfather in Sons of Anarchy. Oh, yeah, I forgot he was in that. Um, yeah, and obviously like Idris Elba, uh, he he. He is like well known to American audiences because of the wire and obviously in Brit- Britain is British actor, he's in Luther. And this is right about the time where he started becoming really big in like blockbuster roles. Like, you know, he was Heimdall in For Dark World and Four. Um, and then obviously now he's like one of the biggest actors on the planet. Everyone knows Idris Elba. Um 
and you know this is one of this is one of the the big blockbuster action roles he did um as uh marshall pentecost and you know i i think he does well i think he is perfect it's kind of like the like the military leader kind of sense you know the one who demands order and respect and the lad's voice in the room and everyone listens to him and stuff like you know it, gotomo does really and obviously the casting directors producers done a really good job at casting these roles um his characters to his to actors to his characters, um, and uh, you know Rin Kokuchi, she's brilliant as uh, Makamori. She's able to possess the kind of like she's kind of like you know the kind of naive kind of like gullible, also like really like the kind of strong female character in this film. You know you got that kind of like there is that sense of like young love or like you know young twenties. You know when she's like peeking on. Raleigh, like you know, undressed, mm. dressing in like his room, and it's kind of like that kind of like that flirtation, kind of like you know, yeah, date. Like, I mean, the... yeah, like you wanted to have like it's her game. I wanted to have obviously like this like romantic element to it, but it's it's like underdeveloped because obviously the action oh, yeah. has to take precedence, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think he was just like trying to tick boxes when he included like the romance, like sort of like uh element to this yeah and also i feel like this is kind of like for kind of like that kind of audience like a young adult kind of like thing because like you know anime films they do have that kind of like the really popular anime films as well there is like kind of like young adult kind of like romance thing to it as well um so i i you know i i, I like it but i'm glad like it's not like Forced romance for the sake of we need a romance. It's kind of like yeah. questions out there. And also, Charlie Harlan was really ripped for his role as someone who literally oh, yeah. does literally does pilot a Jaeger. Like <laughs> it's like you could literally be fat and pilot a Jaeger. Like, and he just this guy's just like massively ripped because you know. This is obviously the action hero. You got to have a ripped action hero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah so. Um, one thing I realised actually as well is the idea is like Del Toro avoided the kind of typical army recruitment video aesthetics. Yeah. Because the characters have like Western ranks in terms of like martial ranger. Yeah, they're not because um, because he's a pacifist, isn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he avoided yeah like let's say um, stack of Pentecost. Yeah, he's not a general or anything. He's he's the marshal, isn't he? And mm. then the pilots are rangers. Yeah, yeah. It's um. Yeah, and, and as you were saying before, it's like it leans into this idea that this isn't like a militaristic sort of thing. This is something which, you know, they, they're being aggressive for the sake of d- defending their world. You know, like yeah. they're, they're not doing this because they want to, but because they have to. And this is like, it's not just about the one person. It's about the, the collective. It's, it's about our species. Well, it's it's very much the idea is like when, when humans are backed into a corner, they will fight. They're most yeah. like, vicious and the most Tough like nail. strength. Tooth and nail, yeah. Um, and also talking about like obviously mentioned this, the self pacifist the pacifism of Del Toro. It's interesting in this film is that um, it's like different from like the mass death and destruction which is featured in like blockbuster films. Yeah. So the destruction depicted is like remorseless, remorseless, yeah. remorseless. Um, <laughs> and it shows streets, buildings being evacuated for kaiju attacks. So it's not like you know. 
you know, like constant, like death and destruction. You see humans just basically being wiped out. You don't see any human deaths in terms of the Kaiju Jaeger fight. And I think that's nice because, and the way he says it in an interview when asked, he said basically like when you see kind of like Godzilla films and he picks up a tank and throws it like another like Kaiju, the question, you know, the idea is like you suck there wondering like, oh, you know, he says, oh, when I watch stuff like that, I'm like, oh, there's people who in that tank, they got families and stuff, you know, and then they're, they're going to die. Whilst if you like see these Jaeger kaiju fighting in this film and you like, you don't see anyone being killed and stuff, you're like, and the buildings look empty as well when they get like collapsed and all basically like being punched through. Yeah. They've been it evacuated, kind of adds being evacuated. You're like, oh, I can watch this while I'm not having back my head that people are actually going to die. Yeah. And obviously, when we, when we reviewed um, the MonsterVerse, you know, Godzilla and stuff, you saw like people would die, like left, yeah. right, center. Whilst with this, you don't really, there's no civilian deaths. Um, it feels yeah. very evacuated space. And I think that's nice as well because you then fully focus on the fighting rather than having you back in your head, like, as I said, being like, oh, those people, how many people have died from this and stuff like that? Like, you know, yeah. because it's the idea is like, they do mention that people have died from these kaiju attacks. Seats have been destroyed, but they don't go into detail, do they? They don't yeah, have, it's like, it's always know, off screen, isn't it? bodies being, like, you know, dragged out or, like, you know, um, like, images of, like, mass graves and stuff. So, you know, it's not like that. And I, I'm kind of glad because, you know, this film is obviously very dystopian in terms of, you know, like, it's the end of the world type of thing. But obviously it doesn't go into that really dark, dark sense in terms of all other disaster films are like as well yeah um and i feel like also with disaster films and like monster fighting films they try and really ramp up the like the epic destruction of nature like i remember i was watching i remember the only time i've watched in independence day resurgence it was just like so overkill it was like you know like cities were literally just being like blown off the ground and i'm just like what this is like too too like it is very the, the gore kind of part of it, like you know, and Roman Emmerich yeah. is that kind of like he wants over the top kind of like disaster stuff. You know, we're watching Moonfall and stuff, and you see <laughs> literally the city just being like leveled. Um, it, yeah, and it gets a yeah, bit like obviously, yeah, when it's a part where there's literally a drive-by shooting, when it's literally oh, like God. the whole the, literally the city's being destroyed, it gets a bit silly. But I'm like, I'm glad that this is really you know, you this film if you can have. Monster versus like robot fighting, but like it's not over the top, like you know, destruction. Yeah, it's like a kind of level destruction mm. as well. Um, talk about um, the sort of like the main antagonists of the film. Like, we, we, we are told about oh, there's like an intelligence they're called the precursors, but yeah, oh, they, they don't really play a heavy part, you know. Um, the main antagonists are, of course, the kaiju. Like, do you have like a, a favorite kaiju or like? Uh, oh god, I'm, actually, I'm gonna look up the kaiju in Pacific Rim just yeah. so I remember. Because uh, I, I love the design of the kaiju. They all look brilliant, like, they? like so different. Yeah, mm. and they all stand out. They're not. Um, uh, let me look. Oh god, I think the big one I like. Um, 
it's a really big one, the Category 5 one I really like. Yeah, I think that's, um, uh, that's the, the Slatoon, I think. The ha- the hammerhead looking one, I think. Yeah, uh, kind of I like. think it's the Slatoon. Yeah. I love it. It's also it's like kind of like similar to kind of like, you know, the monster, like, like sharks and stuff and all that yeah. as well. And I like how they basically put the reason why the kaiju are invading now. And it's it just a little bit kind of idea. It's like, okay, this is about the basically like eco, you know, climate change and stuff as well. Yeah. It's kind of like that eco kind of theme in it as well, because basically um, kaiju basically came into wiped out the dinosaurs, but they wouldn't couldn't be, couldn't settle in the world because of because it wasn't habitable, and uh, because of now the CO two levels now that like basically in the way that the planet is. Or humans done to the planet, the kaiju now can actually like come out and basically settle in the world. I think it's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, the idea is like, you know, the question is, oh, what happened to the dinosaurs? Oh, they got killed by kaiju. Mm. And the idea is this breach, and it's weird, it's like it's like that kind of hollow earth kind of thing as well. It's like, but they're not in the earth, it's like in a different dimension, would you say? And they come yeah. out through it's like this breach. Like, it doesn't go into so much detail about it, but it's like, you don't need to, really. It's the idea, it's like, look, there's these monsters that live in a different dimension, and they come out through this breach. Yeah. And the idea is the plan is, if you close the breach, then the kaiju get defeated. And the idea is, yeah. like, look, they sent, like, a nuke in, and they explode it. And uh, the shots where the Jeepers uh, explodes with the nuclear bomb is so beautiful. Very like, cool. Um, very, very cool. You see the shot of, like, Gypsy... Um almost like like sacrificial like imagery of like this yeah this yeah. giant like figure obviously this like human looking figure in front of like a, a like an eclipse but like underwater yeah. it's, it's really yeah. weird and, and cool and like this this universe or world or whatever wherever they are in this other universe it's like everything's underwater like the, yeah. and everything's like organic like um architecture it's really yeah. weird and Again, it's it's um in in the same vein as like uh, Guillermo's other work. This like um perversion of organic, like it's it's really strange and but but beautiful at the same time. Um, and I thought like the sound design is really cool as well because um especially like the, the kaiju like uh, vocalizations. A lot of them are like classic monster flick um sounds like vocalizations yeah, that yeah. they brought back. It's um yeah it's 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 really cool, like the um, the really famous like almost like hissing roar that they used to yeah. use like T Rexes back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's I awesome. I do like they really show the scale of the kaiju and yeah, of, like this is big. And then you have got the different categories. And I think category five is like the massive one, and they're like we've never seen a category five before. Yeah, and it becomes like kind of like the big boss you fight as well. Exactly. I, I really, yeah, I really really enjoyed that. But also you know. And this is what this is why the action is very directed really, really well, is you know which kaiju is which. And you know, you know basically which one the Jaegers the are fighting. Um I do love the shots with underwater, because I think that's like another level of like underwater fighting. Uh, I love that. Oh, when they when they're assaulting the breach at the yeah. end. Yeah. And obviously this is called Pacific Rim, so obviously the there is gonna be all the fighting in the Pacific. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. Um and that's why I kind of like because, like, I obviously you in in school you learn about what's called the Pacific Rim, and it's basically mm. like, um, so around like the sort of like the coastlines of let's say 
Australia all the way up to like Asia and then going around to like Alaska, America, and then South America. Um, it's because of like tectonics and stuff. There's always like a lot of like tectonic activity in terms of like volcanoes yeah. and stuff. So I yeah. like how they've like re um, reapplied this like uh, term to this like idea that this is um, the Pacific Rim is a theater of war. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like I like how obviously it starts in like Alaska and then it moves. Obviously, the the plot moves then on the majority to Hong Kong in what's called the the, the base for like this like Jaeger program. It's called the Shatterdome. And yeah. it is it is like the, the cyberpunk like heaven. Everything's gritty and, and everyone's wearing these sort of like really like grungy like jumpsuits and and then it's like it's juxtaposed with like these giant robots in the background. It's 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 uh it's a sight to see. Well that's the thing, it's like very, very and good. when I was talking about kind of like the how they show Hong Kong, it's like it's like, it's like Hong Kong today. It's not like, you know, twenty twenty and like everything's so futuristic. It's not like that. It feels like, like the main kind of technology advanced stuff is the military, and it feels like the cities have kind of like gone back to kind. Of, it's kind of like the same as they are like now. Yeah. Um, and it makes it kind of like whole dystopian, kind of very the cyberpunky, very realistic in a way. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's idea is like what uh, Travis Beecham and the Toro think of the future. Um, obviously it's different now 2020 because instead of kaiju we had covid um <laughs> you know and uh but also uh, uh, when you talk about the pacific rim the the idea of pacific rim it's like pacific rim in general is like it's one of destruction because you've got yeah. volcano titanic tectonic activities earthquakes and it's always been like earthquakes along with come pacific rim because of the tiny plates so allowing pacific rim to be one of destruction in real life and also in this film, in terms of the kaiju, is really, really interesting as well. And yeah. you say, like, it is like a theater of war. This is where the, the, the you know, the, the future of humanity basically is like in the Pacific Rim. Yeah. And I really, and obviously, theater of war, obviously, you had the Pacific War in World War Two, where you had, the, and, um, you know, and, you know, that was where obviously the nuclear bomb was dropped. The idea is like, you know, you could look at it like that is where a lot of like the most technologically advanced kind of like military stuff has like, you know, happened yeah. really. Um, I really, really like, I like, I like that. And um, it just gives life to kind of like the cities around there as well. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it's like, you know, it's, um, it's a homage, you know, to like Kaiju Mech and you know Mech and stuff. Yeah. And where does Godzilla happen? Like, where is Godzilla? The film takes place Japan, off the coast of Japan. Where yeah. does Godzilla reside? The Pacific. So mm-hmm. you know, it's like really much a homage. Yeah. Being like, yeah. if this is where the theater of war with his Kaiju in previous kind of like yeah. films have have happened. Hmm. And and when you're saying you know, it's like it's an homage. When I was watching it for a couple of times throughout the film. I had a, not not a sense of like my immersion was broken, but I had a sense that like oh th- this film, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It knows no. exactly what it is, and it knows the me- not not message. It knows what it has to do to work. Um, yeah, and then you're sort of like you're you're allowed to like suspend your own belief. Then that yeah, like these giant robots, you know, not like nukes or anything, are the things that people chose to fight these giant monsters. Yeah, it's um, 
it, it, it's it's just great. Like the vision is is there. And yeah, you know, you can say that oh, it's derivative of like yeah, like a kaiju culture and stuff. But no, it's a pastiche and homage. Um, and even like yeah, like the sort of like the, the some of like the drama between the characters, like especially between um, uh, I forget the character's name. Um, God damn it! You're when, when, the brother or the son, um, the, the son, the, the Aussie. I think it's um, Chuck. I think let me double check Chuck, that. Yeah, like the the conflict between it is not great, but it's like you're allowed to sort of like just like laugh at it because it's meant to be this sort of like you know melodramatic yeah, bit of Chuck. drama to to allow for like it's it's a bit of like um it's a break in between like the massive like um because because when you when you watch like the the monster fights it's very like. It's a sensory overload, isn't it? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is quite intense. But then allowing for that human drama to come back in, it's more minimal, and, and it allows you to like sort of like chill out for a bit until the next yeah. like, monster, monster fight. It's, yeah, definitely, um, it's good, and it's how like these massive monster battles should work. Whereas in like um, I don't know, you get like Godzilla. Um, what, what was the last one? Like Godzilla versus Kong or something? Yeah, obviously, yeah. Like. Every time, like it went back to the human stuff, you're like, "Oh, for God's sake!" Like, I can't wait until we see like the monsters again, or like the yeah, like, I can't wait until we see the monsters. Whereas in this, like, it works either way. But uh, and also, like, when you got like kind of a rivalry between uh, Chuck and Riley, and obviously Chuck's like, you know, they're not ready, they're not proper Jaegers and stuff. They're like, oh, the pilots they're old and stuff like that. It's because of like because we got this a countdown to the apocalypse, humanity is so kind of desperate to win yeah that's it kind of adds a like like god you know chuck is like kind of like yeah he is a type because he's like you know he's the you know the, the jock kind of character it's like you know oh i'm like the best one here and he's obviously been like you know you know everyone thinks he's like the hot one and stuff like that so he believes it's hot one so when he when there's like someone else who's like been a, a pilot way before him you know he sees that kind of like you know clash really that kind of sense of like yeah um threat but also the idea as well like he's deep down also he wants to save the world as well so you know he is not afraid to basically um you know work he's not afraid to basically call out raleigh and uh, uh maka and be like look you guys aren't ready you guys shouldn't pilot a jaeger and uh and it's in, and it's, and it's all that. It's, it reminds me of the rivalry at the start between uh, uh, Spock and Kirk in uh, JJ Abrams' uh, Star Trek film. Like they're yeah. all, they're both different people, and Spock has like got a sense of he is feels like he is like top dog, and then and obviously and Kirk comes along and he's like hot shot top dog as please he's top dog as well, yeah. and obviously they can only be one, um, and basically. It's that kind of sense of rivalry, and then they learn to basically work with each other and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing here, obviously, with Chuck and Raleigh. I, I it adds that level, and as you said as well, like it is important we focus on human characters because it's like their last, like um, basically their last, like last moment movements to basically save the world. So you know they, they've got the you know, the countdown clock and stuff, and uh, they all come together and stuff like the. the the shots of like all these humans, basically a massive crowd of humans and stuff like that, where it's like shows just like 
like how many humans there are and like basically like this is the idea of obviously i mentioned the idea of togetherness everyone's here to basically stop the apocalypse and uh and and uh, you know idris elba's uh, Marshall Pentecost's quote, you know, at the end where he's like, we're cancelling the apocalypse. It's kind of like, it's amazing. And I think it's one of the most iconic um, quotes in like modern, any modern sci-fi film. Yeah. Because everyone knows it. Everyone knows it as well. Like, you know, it's the same thing with Ryan Malek's score. Everyone knows the kind of main theme for Pacific Rim. Because it's so just like, it, when you play it, you know what it is straight away. Yeah. Um, and my my is like he's made such good scores and themes that of of like shows and films that you know what they are straight away. Game of Thrones, you know, when that starts playing, you know what it is. Westworld, yeah, you know, you know what it is when it starts playing, you know. Yeah. So it you know, in House of Dragon, there's like there's like some of the themes uh, tracks in House of Dragon, I know what they are before even knowing this House of Dragon. Yeah. So here to enough, and this movie and the music is really good because it's all about you know like fighting and kind of like act, the action kind of like blockbuster type style music, isn't it? Mm. Well, it comes across as sort of like boxing like get, hype music, get ready to kick ass type music, isn't it? Yeah, that type of thing. It, it, um, it is badass, and and like mm. the whole like kick ass like element of this film is very very well done. Like the whole um, my favorite like kick ass scene is probably um otachi the um like the fly-in like bat like uh, kaiju is, is terrorizing hong kong and then um gypsy appears and yeah uh, G- gypsy's carrying um like a like a tanker or like a, a big like rigging ship yeah yeah and then gypsy adjusts the grip and then picks it up and, and like uses it as if it's like a baseball bat it's 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 phenomenal. It's very, very good. And you are like, oh, that was so cool. That and the who will um uh the punch that's like rocket powered as well. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And I love the part where he takes it to like the atmosphere to basically try and kill it. And then literally oh. it's like, how do we kill us? And then they realize, oh, there's a sword here. And then yeah. there's a sword. Yeah. And when the sword comes out, it's so <laughs> sick. That is cool, isn't it? But like, I know people at the time, like when this came up, were like, "Oh, why didn't he just use the sword at the at the beginning?" But I'm like, I don't think they had it in the beginning. Oh no, what I mean is like at the beginning of the fight with Otachi. Oh okay. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, oh, I you are you are like okay, yeah, you have a point. But like, if they used it like you know earlier on in the fight, we would not have got that badass scene when uh, Gypsy like bisects the the whole kaiju like just cuts it in half yeah it's so good and like it slows down as well and it and like it just shows like the the kaiju just like splitting in put into it oh it's so cool oh i know i know it's I, and then um, churno using it, like though. like massive like spring powered like punches that's cool yeah and which one was which one had it had like the kind of missiles come from the chest and stuff that's and striker yeah. Striker, that's so badass it is. Yeah. Oh, but then I like how they have like some delay, like like yeah. like power up sort of like thing when, you know, they have to time their attacks like exact in it. Otherwise, you know, like yeah. when the plasma cannons like heating up. Yeah. They need to time it just right so that it has time to heat up and, and power up to to use it. I like that. Yeah. 
and you you are like a bit like oh like why don't they just you know hurry up but it, you know this it raises suspense then isn't it exactly and like the who will when striker has to like ready itself to launch those chest missiles it has to have time to prepare but then one of the kaiju uses that electromagnetic pulse thing in it and wipes out the kaiju before it's able to launch yeah. the missiles yeah it's it's cool and then when um Herc and um chuck use um they go outside with the flares and Herc's like oh we can grab these flares and do something very stupid like oh, yeah they're, they're so dumb and brave i love it <laughs> um, oh i didn't know it actually there's a little there's a little bit of trivia here for you Oh yeah. Um, so Ellen McLean is in this film, and she's the AI for Gypsy Danger. She's a voice. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's a nod to her role as Glados in the Portal game series. I did know this actually. Yeah. Um, cool, yeah, more like obviously cured about the you know, like the Glados like AI yeah. voice. Yeah. And it's it's very cool. Yeah. As, as AI definitely. goes, it has that like almost like not. Um, robotic element but almost like melodic element yeah yeah it's very very cool i want to talk quickly about the silver ring uprising like oh yeah quick like talk about it because obviously i haven't watched it you haven't watched it but it's kind of like adds a little bit in terms of like the law as well because there is a netflix pacific ring show called the black which i haven't watched but basically it's about like um Beast, I think it's brother and sister who find a disused Jaeger and like rebuild it, and then they'll actually they use that Jaeger to fight Kaiju, which I think is quite cool. Yeah. Um, but seeing what uprising basically, um, so this was directed by Stephen S. Knight. Um, oh, right, he's okay. directed, he directed like you know, he was a show one of a Daredevil and Spartacus. So the Toro was meant to, to direct this, but I think was uh, filming, uh, filming, uh, schedule conflicts. He basically, you know, gave it to step Stephen S. D. Knight to take over filming, and he remained as a writer and a producer. Um, and you know, uh, they were going to have a uh, Charlie Hunnam come back, but at the same time, he was uh, while this film was in production, Charlie Hunnam was working on um, Legends of the of the Sword, um, oh, King Arthur, yeah. King Arthur, yeah. So he couldn't work on that. So this film obviously is, is star John Bieger, Scott Eastwood, Jing uh, Jing Tain, and obviously um, uh, Minko um, Gucci um, returns as well, um, and Ben Gorman and Charlie Charlie Day appears well as well as uh, Andrea Aljona, uh, and this actually takes place uh, ten years. Um, after Battle of the Breach and what it's called, and he follows um, um, Marshall Pentecost's son, uh, Jake Pentecost, played by John Boyega, and it's about you know these, these new upgraded, uh, you know, uh, kaiju, um, and it's about uh, Jaeger, sorry, it's about kaiju basically coming back into the world. Uh, it didn't really make as much money. He had like mixed reviews and stuff. And this was one where basically, like, the main villain is pretty much Chai Day because he becomes, he goes like mm. Kaiju Man Scientist. I mean, yeah. I didn't, I, I never watched it because like, it came out and it got mixed reviews. And I was like, oh, this is obviously just like, you know, kind but of like, cast grab. I don't thing. get it. Like, 
the story's been told, they saved the world from the cage. Exactly. Right? This film should have just been one and done. Like, they shouldn't have made a sequel to yeah. it. But obviously, because it made well, and they knew that the Asian audience loved this film, they were like, okay, let's make another one because people are hungry for more, like, yeah. you know, Pacific Rim yeah. stuff. And, I mean, it... I feel like it works well. If you want to make a sequel or a spin-off, make it like an, an anime show would be quite good. Just focus on a little bit on the lore. But yeah. this is a one and done. It has a beginning, middle, and end, yeah? You yes. know, beginning, the kaiju arrive on Earth, and then the Jaegers are created. Middle part is where, like, you know, um, they find this new, realize the kaiju are coming in swarms now. So the idea is, like, the clock to the apocalypse is, like, getting closer to the to the deadline. And then the begin the ending is the breach is closed, the kaiju producing dead, and the world is saved. And I think that's, that's what it. it should have been. But obviously they wanted to make another one. And the Toro had plans for a sequel. I mean, if he you know, I think if he directed the second one, I think it would have been better, maybe. But, you know, I don't know how hands on he was with like obviously the the making of the second one. But I think he did say he had plans. He would love to come back and do a third installment. And then, obviously, he wants to have Charlie Harlan come back as well. So, obviously, you never know. Down the road, he might do, actually. Um, I know he did He did mention something on our X that, like, he has some big news, you know, to go inside with Pacific Rim 10th anniversary. But everyone thought it was going to be, like, a sequel. But He's going to do He's going to do Hellboy 3. Official. <laughs> oh, wow. I, thought, three. I thought you actually had been serious then. I was like, no. really? <laughs> I would love that. I'd love the Hellboy 3. Um, I feel like Hellboy, we had Hellboy 1 and 2 were brilliant. And I yeah, wanted to review that for the podcast. But then obviously you had the Neil Marshall's Hellboy, which uh. was not great. And now they're making a, another Hellboy film based, I think it's animated, I'm not sure, or live action, based on the Crooked Man story arc. Right. So... I am not sure what's going on with Hellboy. I think it would work well as a, as, a, as a TV show. I think put that really in a TV show. I think people will watch it. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone wants a, a conclusion, wants, wants a Hellboy trilogy from the Toro. Um, but yeah, that's it. I think that's all I have to say about Pacific Rim. Have you got any final thoughts about Pacific Rim? But, um, it, it's it's a visually brilliant oh, yeah. film. And like, yeah. obviously it's not, let's say like the greatest sort of like plot, you know, in terms of like, yeah, it's, let's say like human sort of like, you know, human conflict or just like, you know, the human sort of condition, but yeah. it's not about that. It's about no. at the end of the day, giant monsters fighting giant uh, robots. And it does exactly. it so well. It's probably exactly. one of, one of the best uh, examples of like this sort of like, um, epic sort of scale like you know monster sort of movies we'll ever see and yeah definitely films will try and emulate this quality for years to come especially in terms of how well the cgi is aged this you know 10 oh, years the cgi old. fight scenes are so well like it's so the good and it is yeah amazing. like how tangible the monster's skin yeah. is like you yeah. can see how like some of the monsters are, like more hide based and then others more slimy the the water running off the the hulls of the Jaegers, fantastic. Yeah. Honestly, even like the the water animations, because a lot of it takes place in like fighting in water, the the the, the waves and like the, the spray is fantastic. 
definitely. It it's holds like, it's up a very, very it's well. a very beautiful film. And yeah. when I was doing the cinematography cool. posts, all the shots of it were like yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. Favorite shot is probably the the skull of, of the kaiju in the museum. My favorite shot is the one is the is the part where um where Idris Elba is uh, obviously Pentecost is uh, a Jaeger, uh, Jaeger pilot, and there's a shot where like the Jaeger standing in, in like in this destroyed city, and in the background this light coming in, oh, in kind yeah. of sense of like the savior or like a Christ like figure. Of yeah. like here to basically save us, like you know, I've, I've, that's really beautiful. I'll I've, I've send it to you quickly so you, so you know which one I'm on about. Yeah, I think I, I know. I, which... I think I've I think I've got it. Yeah, yeah, um... yeah, I've got it. Bro. And it's like you can't really see the the actual shape of the Jaeger. It's quite like no, you know... but it's, it adds that to mysteriousness, doesn't it? Like yeah, because you're looking through the point of view of ah, uh, yeah. a young uh, Mako, and she's like, "What is this thing that's saved me?" Um. Mm. It's like you know, it's like the like an iron giant kind of esque, exactly. Like, yeah, savior. Um, okay, what would you rate Pacific Rim out of ten? Uh, a strong eight out of ten. I would give this yeah. a eight point five slash nine. I mm. think. Um, yeah, I'm edging on to nine just because yeah. of how good this, is, how enjoyable yeah. it is. Oh, I enjoy. I, it. I, I could, I, I could literally like tonight. I could go go back and rewatch this. It's the rewatchability yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Because I haven't watched the, when when I watched this in preparation for the for the episode. I yeah. I watched it and I was like, I haven't watched it in years. And I came back and I was like, oh my god, like how still it holds up. It's so as, good. As yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's our Pacific Rim review. So um, if you're a big fan of Pacific Rim, uh, listen to his podcast episode. Um, let us know what you think of Pacific Rim. Do you like it? Do you hate it? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, next week, we had a, a week break because I'm away uh, festival um, on Saturday and Sunday. So I'll be I'll be out of the house, as, you, as they say in Britain. We're out of the house. Um and then after that, we'll be coming back to uh, review again one of our, both me and Welsh's favorite films, Highlander. Uh, with uh, yes, I, I I I remember Highlander, and I was in my head thinking like, I love how they made a Scottish actor play a Spanish exactly. character, and, and it's just a Frenchman like, to play a Scotsman. Yeah, it's brilliant. It, it, it's it's, <laughs> it's yeah, I, I love, love it. It's one of those films that it's like a cult classic. It's not like the neck. It's not like the best fantasy film. Oh no, not at, it, not at it's, all. It's a yeah. cult classic, and people, you know, pe- people really enjoy this film, and I do as well. Yeah, obviously part of that as well because of the Queen song to go with it. Yes, um, yeah. the Hool album is a. It's a kind of magic album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm yeah, not sure well, if they, probably, they were asked to make it for the film. Probably death. <laughs> Probably their most popular album, I'll say ever. Maybe oh, yeah. second. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, like um, News of the World's pretty popular, but yeah, probably, World... probably one of the most popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, Who wants to live forever? Such a oh, one of my favorite yeah. Queen songs. Um, in my top five. Um, but yeah, that's our that's our episode for this week. So yeah, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, X, and you can email us. Uh, please like, share, follow, and I'll review and enjoy the episode. If you want to come on the podcast to promote anything you've been working on or uh, currently working on, uh, please uh, DM us on Instagram or Facebook, or you can email us. Uh, all, the, all the information about how to email us will be in our description of this episode, so make sure you check that out. Um, as I always say, long road is um, long road is still out. 
we've uh Reese has been having a, and Morgan been having a lot of uh uh sell, good sales recently as well. But if you haven't picked up the book, uh pick it up and support our our fellow up and coming writers. Uh long words are really big fancy um yeah. adventure. I mean, you say better than me. Uh <laughs> oh, well, basically it's uh you can check us out on our socials it's mm. uh, rickardsandjones.com mm. rickardsandjones authors on yeah like facebook and uh, instagram yeah. and all the rest yeah. of it but um yeah it's as i said before you know it's like an epic fantasy sort of a journey of this war that's been ravaging these kingdoms and this sort of fantasy world where they don't really know why the war's been raging but yeah the only people that can stop them are the emissary of the main characters so yeah, anything um, like Game and, of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, House of the Dragon, whatever you like it. And you're going to be p- appearing at uh, the Flan Trissant Medieval Fair on yeah. the weekend, on the second and the third of September, yeah. to basically promote the film as well. Yeah, so that would be um, uh, Flan Trissant, which is like in South Wales. It's, it's yeah. uh, in Rhondda-Cynantaf, where I'm from. Yeah. But uh, it's yeah, it should be good. It's um, any values like... listening. Any yeah. vice listeners apart from Welsh, please, please uh, go and support. Support. Yeah. Um, you obviously, even though yeah. you're a fan and I'm a fan yeah. but I'm not a vice boy. But it's your <laughs> valleys, vice listener, uh, big up the valleys, um, Welsh valleys. Uh, please drop by on second and third yeah. medieval fair. I mean, you know, if you love anything medieval, then yeah. Yeah, come here and support um, and support our fellow uh, Rickards yeah. and Jones. Yeah, um, and also you can follow listen to this podcast on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, etc., etc. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Um, thank. Um, I'm trying to end this on like a what's a really popular quote from like end. From Pacific Rim to end this um, on. Oh my god! I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think now. Like, yeah. Um. Well, what does uh, Gottlieb say? It's like, was it like um, numbers are the closest thing we get to the handwriting of God? Yeah, that's gonna like that. Yeah, yeah I like, love that. W- w- I love uh, that. Was Was this said in A Pacific Rim or B Oppenheimer? <laughs> <laughs> Is that actually from Oppenheimer? Like, no, it's Ben no, oh no, no. Gorman's character says so. it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that is that on top of like the really famous philosophical quote from Spy Kids Two, where he's like, where uh, you know the one I'm on about? Where, yeah, um, there's something about, something about God like, in it. It's, um... Do you reckon God hides up in heaven because he's um, he's he hates what he's created down on Earth or something like that? That's and you're like Steve Buscemi, isn't it? Yeah, it's just some random. <laughs> When you watch that quote, it's just a random that just says it. Like, is it like, like the that... Island of Lost Dreams or something? Is that it? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. One, yeah. I really yeah. need to see that again. I oh, I used to you... watch the um, Spike is 3D as well, and it's like, oh, oh my god. No, I think I think we should because um, I think we should um, to review Spike Kids for our last uh, episode in September because I think that there's a the lot of readers is rebooting Spike Kids yeah. for Netflix at the end of September. So I thought, let's just review Spy Kids, the original one. And I realized, I thought yeah. it was a bad film. I thought people hated it. But actually, this, that film's got 93% of Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm like, oh. Actually, what, the first one? Yeah. <laughs> the first one's not that bad. No, it's less, no. It, like, it's less campy than the rest of Yeah, them. I mean, it's, it's not a Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Part of oh, Christ, yeah. It. 
Um, Mr. He Electric. ruined my dream journal. Uh, yeah. Have him expelled uh, immediately. <laughs> to the principal's office, having expelled. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we're off. We're off topic. Thank you everybody for listening. <laughs> um, uh, check check us out on our next episode of uh, on Highlander. Uh, there can only be one. Um, so there can be uh, only one. <laughs> me and um, me and Welsh are going to fight over the prize, and uh, whoever c- cuts off each one each, another's head wins the prize. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, my expert swords beam skills. This What is haggis? Uh, That's revolting. <laughs> Who wants to live forever anyway? Okay, uh, that's enough with the highlighted things. <laughs> um, thank you for listening, um, and we'll see you on the next Hobby Coffee Cast. Bye bye. Cool. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Hoffy Coffee Cast. But before we end, me and Reese want to thank everyone for listening. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to like, follow, share, and review, in addition to tell your friends, family, and fellow nerds and coffee lovers about our content. We both enjoyed talking about these topics, and with your help, we can strive to be bigger and better and bring out much more to our fans and listeners. I'm your host, Reese Bolton. And I'm your host, Reese Jones. And we'll see you on the next Hoffee Coffee Cast. Take care and goodbye. Bye.